Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you today and uh, to share about compassion and to uh, share out of the Word of God with you as well this morning. It's, uh, it's my joy to be here with you. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Amanda. Uh, so a little bit about us. We've been married since uh, 2020. So we got married in 2020 and came together with a blended family. So we had six children coming together into one house and it's amazing, beautiful chaos uh, is what it's like. And since then, we've had um, our little baby girl in January, Zoe, who's here with us this morning as well. Oh, thank you. If you get to see her, she's extraordinarily cute and I'm not biased at all. Uh, so it's great to be here with you. I, I know here at Winnipeg Baptist you've had um, a, a few different compassion speakers over the years. I think it's been probably four or five years since someone's come to share. Uh, Honoured to come uh, and share with you for the first time myself this morning. Uh, a lot's changed over the last few years, uh, globally. Uh, obviously, we're familiar with the pandemic. We probably hear talked about all the time and, and aware of what's been happening here. And, and the impact of that, though, around the world on those living in extreme poverty has been huge. It's been a really, really big impact on them. For the first time uh, since the early 1990s, global poverty, extreme poverty has gone up again. It has been on the de- decrease for, for decades and the impacts of all the lockdowns all around the world and those sorts of things have meant that, that extreme poverty has gone up for the first time. They've, they've done it very tough. Uh, that's not to minimise how tough some people may have done it here, but around the world, those living in extreme poverty or those living in poverty, have, many have gone back, an estimated 90 million have gone back into extreme poverty. Um, for us at Compassion, it's been a challenging time in that, particularly in 2020 and, and through parts of 2021, um, here in Australia and in our partner countries around the world, we weren't able to go and speak in churches and, or speak at conferences and events and, and tell people about uh, the work of Compassion, invite them to sponsor children. And so it's meant... Uh, for us, there's been the highest number of unsponsored children that we've ever had, over 200,000. Uh, Compassion has about 2.2 million children in the program around the world and about 200,000 of them are unsponsored. And some of them have been waiting a long time. So it's been a challenging time, um, but been encouraged by um, churches here in Queensland and their generosity and their response to want to partner. I know that many of you uh, would be familiar with Compassion. Many of you would already be sponsors. I know there's many children sponsored by families here in this church. So firstly, I just want to start by saying thank you to you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your partnership. Um, Do not underestimate the impact that your sponsorship has on the lives of these children and their families. The the, the impact is significant. Uh, It means that those children are connected to a local church. It means they're hearing the gospel. It means they're being fed, having access to medical care, uh, having access to education and support with that that they wouldn't have had before. It means they're part of a loving church community. Your, Your sponsorship really matters and really has an impact on them and I hope that you're encouraged in that today. And today I'm I'm really excited for you as a church to be able to uh, start this partnership. Previously, anytime you've done something, it's it's just been people sponsoring children all around the world, which is fantastic. But today to be able to start uh, having a focus in Togo and Indonesia, um, which is fantastic. Let's hope this click is working. Fantastic. Um, And so you can see, uh, if I go to the next slide... Um, where you're going to be partnering. So the Kara region in Togo, which obviously um, Pastor Andrew is quite familiar with, um, having lived in Togo for for many, many years. Um, And then also South Sulawesi in Indonesia um, is where the focus is going to be. 
Um, in Togo, the region has a population, I'm told, of around 100,000 people. And each of the communities where um, these local churches are based, where you'll be sponsoring children, range from about 1,000 to 20,000 people. Uh, the average income at the moment there is between 7 and $49 a month. The most common employment is farming uh, or day labourers or market traders or some people working in domestic services. Housing and food are very simple and there are many, many needs in the community. In Indonesia, in uh, South Sulawesi, it's a province of the island of Sulawesi in the north of Indonesia. Uh, whilst South Sulawesi itself has a population of about 9 million people, um, each of the communities where the local churches are, where you're partnering, are quite remote. And so the biggest um, community is about 6,000 people and are down to, to some that are only several hundred people. Uh, the majority of people there work either as subsistence farmers or day labourers, with the average income being between about $45 and $95 a month. Very simple housing and food, and they really can't afford the basic necessities. In a few moments, I'll tell you a couple of stories about um, children that are or have been sponsored from both of these regions um, around the world. For many living in extreme poverty, it's, it's a daily battle. They hope for a better future for their children because they can't see a way out. It feels overwhelming and hopeless for many. Poverty is so much more than a lack of food, a lack of education, a lack of material resources. Poverty gets to the core of a person and takes away their hope. Where there's a lack of hope where they couldn't imagine a better future for them. I can't imagine being a parent and having a sick child and we couldn't take a child to the hospital because we just can't afford it. I can't imagine telling my wife and kids it's one meal a day if that, because that's, that's all we've got. I can't imagine being a child who's wondering where their next meal is going to come from, who, who will run behind a truck. I remember chatting to one former sponsor child. He's like, I'd wait and see the trucks come by and hope that bananas or something would fall off because that was the only way I could see my next meal coming. It can be debilitating for people living in extreme poverty, this sense of hopelessness. But thankfully, there is hope. There's local churches in both Kara and South Sulawesi who are doing amazing work ministering to these children and their families living in extreme poverty, meeting their physical and social and spiritual, economic and education needs and helping them be released from poverty in Jesus' name. A little bit about compassion for those of you who aren't familiar. Compassion is Christ-centred, child-focused and church-based. Christ-centred means we're unashamedly focused on Jesus. Jesus is at the centre of our ministry. Every child in the program will have the gospel shared with them and will receive a Bible in their own language. Jesus is and always will be at the centre of this ministry. Child focus means we are committed to seeing children released from poverty in Jesus' name. My daughter wants to join in today. Child focus means we are committed to seeing children released from poverty in Jesus' name. Children are disproportionately affected by extreme poverty. But when we can start ministering to children at a young age and making sure they are getting nutritious food, access to medical care, a good education, the opportunity to follow Jesus and are loved and cared for by a local church, they can begin to have a future outside of extreme poverty and a future, a future of hope and opportunity. It's truly life-changing for them. And church-based highlights that Compassion partners exclusively with local churches to meet the needs of those in extreme poverty in their local community exclusively with them. Your sponsorship empowers a local church. They become the hands and feet of Jesus in that community. 
They're the ones that are making the difference there. They're the ones ministering to the kids and their families and coming alongside them. I want to share a couple of stories with you now. Uh, this is uh, Yevs, and I don't know if I've quite said it right. Um, he's from Togo. Uh, when he was a boy, there were many days when he didn't get even a single meal. And the crippling hunger was made worse by, by the really abusive home life that he lived in, hearing often his, his father be abusive towards his, his mother in many ways, hearing and seeing it. Yevs would search through the garbage in desperation to find food. He did it that often that eventually he was given the nickname Duck Poto, which means leftover food. That was his nickname as a child growing up, one of many. He had others as well, none of them endearing. He said, these words hurt, but I didn't care because at least I was not dying of hunger. His father lost his job as a waiter and his mother only made very little money selling fruit. And they lived in a small single room home uh, with wide holes in the roof. Eventually his mother left his father due to the abusive situation and they moved in with her father. She did her very best to provide for her four children, but it was, it was far too tough. Yev's older brother, however, dropped out of school and developed the drug addiction that hampered his life for many, many years. Yev's was five years old when they were visited by some people from the local church where they ran a compassion project. They noticed immediately the vulnerable condition and the malnutrition that Yevs and his siblings were suffering from and he was registered in the Compassion Program. His mum was given uh, income generation support to help um, create more income for the family. They were given monthly food packages and they also built an extra room at Yevs' grandparents' um, grandfather's house so that they could fit um, the family in and have room there. It was the first time Yevs said that he felt love and hope and that he was worth someone's attention. When Yevs went to the program, he had natural acting ability and talents and musical abilities that were quickly noticed and he was uh, encouraged to develop his talents. He developed a passion for studying the Bible age 11 and started to lead Bible studies as a young boy. He even got to preach at the National Compassion Day at their church at the age of 11. He continued to grow in these gifts and talents and was encouraged by the team there. Uh, after the lockdowns in 2020, uh, Yev started gathering people for prayer. By this time, he was in his late teens, uh, gathering people for prayer and Bible teaching near his home, which after the lockdowns lifted, grew to 100 people three times a week that he would bring together to teach and to share the Word of God with them, to allow everyone. He did it three times a week to allow everyone to come. He had multiple cruel nicknames, like I mentioned as a child, but now his peers call him Pastor because they recognise what God's doing in his life that's only come through the encouragement and that connection with the local church. Through Yev's preaching, his older brother has come to Christ and turned away from his drug addiction and has come home again. A young man who had no hope and was mocked is now fulfilling the call of God in his life and has been released from poverty because of the partnership of Compassion and the local church and a sponsor who sponsored him and supported him. This is uh, Yoskiel. He's from Indonesia, from the region where you'll be sponsoring. He was three years old when he was registered into the Compassion Program. Um, a few months after he was registered, um, he was getting uh, pain in his eye, uh, in his right eye, regularly, and it was itchy and it was swollen. And they went to local, tried to take him to local doctors, and they gave some creams and things, um, but nothing was really helping. Um, and then uh, one day, his eyeball actually came out of his eye. 
um, and, and the, the team at the local church took him to a doctor, a, a hospital, like a, a couple of hours away. Um, the family couldn't afford that, but they took care of it and made sure it happened. They got there, they discovered he had stage four cancer in his eye. Um, but the, the, the local church partners kept working with the family. They, they would take him on eight-hour um, one-way journeys to a hospital to stay. They would arrange a place for the family to stay. He was able to get the treatment that he needed. Um, and they supported and walked and hold, held their hand the whole time. Um, he's now cancer-free. He, he only has sight in one eye now, but he's cancer-free. It didn't spread anywhere else in his body. After um, almost a year of treatment, he, he is going to be okay. And he's, it's because of that connection and that love and that support with that local church. He's happy, he's playing, he's getting to be a child again. Uh, this is uh, Desnell and his parents. Um, he was in, registered in the Compassion Project literally as the world went into lockdown in March 2020. Um, and initially during lockdown, the local church project provided lots of supplies to all the families um, in this particular community, um, not only the ones that were sponsored, but others as well um, in the community to help them keep going as they, they didn't have um, much income or access to resources. Um, but by mid-2020, at this particular local church project, they decided, let's help them uh, get set up for themselves. And so uh, they came to uh, Desnell's family, to his parents, and, uh, and to a few others and said, let's try this and see, let's get you getting your own vegetable garden going. And so they started it um, with Desnell and his parents um, and it went really well. And it went so well and his parents and Desnell did such a great job that they ended up being the ones to help train other families in their community to do it. And so uh, to date, 78 families now have their own big flourishing vegetable gardens to provide them for themselves in the community. And so what you see with this is that the Compassion Partnership, the local church there, reaching out to the community, it's, it's, it's spiritual, it, it, it's the economic side, it's the education, it's the medical care, it's very holistic. It's all of it together. It's not just one thing without the other. It's, it's let's meet the physical needs, but let's meet the spiritual needs. Let's make sure they get to know Jesus, but let's make sure we're helping them put food on the table. It's a holistic program that impacts the lives of the children. And so today I, I want to thank you for your sponsorship for those who are and really encourage you that we have many, many children currently needing sponsorship in Togo and Indonesia and all around the world, but that's our focus today. And so I'd like to encourage you in that. For, for those of you who don't yet sponsor a child, can I say the impact on sponsoring a child like Odette here is so significant. You've heard some of those stories and I could tell you many, 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 many more stories of the impact of all the children around the world who are being impacted. And so, uh, can I encourage you today to come and sponsor a child? For those of you who already sponsor one, can I, can I encourage you to ask yourself the question, do we have room for one more in our family? Do we have room for one more? Imagine the difference we can make together in Kara and South Sulawesi. We have about 50 children today who are needing sponsorship. Um, this is Odette, she's from Togo. She's been waiting more than 530 days. Uh, for a sponsor. She's the longest waiting. That's why I'm pointing her out to you this morning. She lives with her mother and there's nine other children in the family. So it's a, it's a large family, this one. Um, and Odette's in the equivalent of year five right now. She's uh, just turned 13. Uh, sponsoring a child is $48 a month, which works out about $1.60 a day uh, to sponsor a child. Um, we sponsor multiple children as a family. It's an honour to be able to do it. As Aussies, we spend, on average per week, $20 on bakery goods, 
I contribute to that because I like sausage rolls. We spend $44 a week on restaurants. We spend an average of $77 a week on holidays. We spend an average of $35 a week on alcohol. And we spend an average of $263 a week on general other recreation that is pulled together. That's an average as Australia. I'm not saying that's what you spend. You know what you spend per week. But what it tells me is that we live in a country where for the vast majority of us, sponsoring a child is more than affordable. For some of us, it might be a stretch, I understand that. But for most of us, it's affordable. For the, life, for the child, it's absolutely life-changing. As we visit churches all around Brisbane, uh, we have the honour of meeting people who sponsor children. Teenagers sponsoring on their part-time job just earlier this year, and a 15-year-old who got permission from his parents and on his part-time job at Macca's came and sponsored a child. Uh, we meet uh, families who are able to sponsor maybe two or three children, as many children as they have in their family. They have one for each that they're able to do. Have retirees who are able to take on a second child, or I meet pensioners who are finding room for the, to, to sponsor a child who are sacrificing to do it. And I'd say this every time, including today, it's truly an honour that people will go, you know what, we're going to partner with Compassion, we're going to trust Compassion, we're going to partner together, we're going to sacrifice out of what we have to do that. So today, I really want to encourage you to come up to the stand and see us after the service. We'd love to see as many of these children sponsored as possible. Before I, uh, before we open up the Word of God this morning, I just want to share uh, a short video with you from Indonesia that shows um, the connection of a family in Australia, a family in Indonesia connecting together um, through child sponsorship. We'll play this now. Thank you. Thank God for you. In quiet moments and when life gets loud, I feel connected to you. I see your smiles in my son's face as he reads your letters. I pray for you, dear mother of a different dear son. Sometimes I imagine what life is like for you. I try to see myself in your situation. Life is so busy. Every day is full. But I look forward to meeting you. I want to see our boys play together. This life is so fragile and precious. work and work but can't give everything my family needs but I know the one who can I pray you will live in him and that he will fill your heart with courage and grace I can't wait to see you I can't wait to see you your family your life is blessing to mine I want to thank you for thinking and praying for my family from across oceans I pray the same prayer for your son and mine. May their hearts love God and always give their best.
kemiripan mungkin yang saya baru pikir walaupun dia orang asing tapi mungkin katong sama dia dua mata baju dua mata satu hidung baju satu hidung it's actually funny I think me and Nova actually look quite similar it's like she's my Indonesian twin we're both young mums and it's quite uncanny the similarities we both have a a young boy and we both have a baby girl and I think that just must be such a god thing bertanggung jawab beratus mengurus anak-anak dan mengurus suami pokoknya mengatur dalam rumah tangga I'm glad that Micah got to see how we can love people outside of our bubble in Australia. It started off with sponsoring a child, it started off with sponsoring Gavin, and it's turned into so much more. You know, sponsoring a family, loving a family, having a family abroad, you know, taking another family into our family and just making it bigger. You know, sponsoring a child is one way that we can show that we, you know, want to reach out and love these people. It's probably the most incredible thing you could ever do with your life, really. The way it impacts not just the child, but the family is just so incredible. You're inputting some love into that child. And so, and I think that's how Nova felt, you know, when she saw me, that she was just really appreciative of the love that um, we were giving Gavin. encourage you today to come and see us. Um, the impact, as you see there, flows beyond the child to the family. Um, and hopefully one day in the near future, um, you'll be able to go um, as a church or as individuals to go and visit your sponsor children as well. My message just appears here. Here we go. All right. So I want to share a message with you this morning. I'm going to look in the book of Luke um, and jump through a few places in the book of Luke. But our Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to start, and I've entitled this message, uh, The Upside-Down Kingdom. And so we're going to start with book of Luke, the book of Luke, but before we do, I want to ask you the question, have you ever had a preconceived, preconceived idea of what something is going to be like that turns out to be wrong? You think it's going to look like this, but it looks like something totally different. Perhaps you've planned a holiday You've looked at the hotel on the website, the pictures look amazing and they don't quite meet the expectations when you get there. It looks quite different. Uh, perhaps you've decided it's a beautiful summer's day, you're going to go to the beach, not on Sunday because you're coming to church, but on Saturday you're going to go to the beach and uh, you've got in your mind what the beach is going to look like, but then you get there and the reality is quite different. Everyone else had the same idea and this relaxing thing is no longer relaxing anymore. Perhaps you're like me and you love Christmas and you love the idea of setting up Christmas lights, which I attempted to do last year. Uh, this isn't a personal photo, but it might demonstrate a little bit and you have an expectation of what you think your Christmas lights are going to look like and then there's the reality <laughs> of what it looks like. Uh, or perhaps you have parenting expectations of what life with children is going to be like and you think one thing like what sleep's going to be like, or you think what feeding your child's going to be like, and it turns out to be something very different. Or you have a family photo and you think it's going to look one way, but it very much looks the other. Or 
your children playing and what that's going to look like and how that's going to turn out. Often we have one expectation of, of what we think is going to happen, but the reality is very different. And in the time of Jesus, and we can see this highlighted through the Gospels, and today we're looking at the book of Luke, the Jewish people at that time had a distinct idea about what the Messiah and the Kingdom of God was going to look like. They expected the coming of the Kingdom and they knew a Messiah would come one day and they had their expectation. They had an expectation, I guess, where they really longed for the days of King David. They expected a conquering king. And that Israel would become a literal superpower that would conquer the Romans and anyone else that stood in Israel's way. They expected, expected someone to be in a position of power and of political influence. And they had these expectations, um, but they did not expect a rabbi to come from Galilee who was the son of a carpenter. They didn't expect someone who would associate with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. They didn't expect a champion of the poor, the leper and the outcast. They did not expect someone who would flip conventional religious practice on its head, who would heal on the Sabbath and forgive the sins of outcasts. They did not expect a Messiah who would choose a rabble of fishermen, zealots, tax collectors and the like as his closest disciples. They had one picture in mind of what the kingdom and the Messiah would look like, but then Jesus comes and the reality of the kingdom of God is very different to what they expected. Jesus arrives on the scene and he flips things on their head. And so that's why I'm calling this message, and and I've heard this phrase used other times before, the upside down kingdom. He presents to them when he arrives a very different kingdom and some loved it and embraced it and some hated it and despised it. Let's read from Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus reading um, from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then at the end of it, He says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's basically saying, I'm coming to do this. He's saying, I'm coming to have, to establish a kingdom that is especially good news for the poor. Now, the Hebrew word for poor um, is, is a three-letter word, A-N-I, Ani, or Annie. I don't know how to pronounce I tried, I looked it up pronouncing it, but I'll get it wrong. So, let's just say that's what it is. And so, it's so much more than just people without possessions or money. It represents people with low social status, people with disabilities, um, people, you know, that were considered lower at the time, like women and children were. It represents orphans. It represents social outsiders, people of a different ethnicity, for example, a Samaritan that we'll look at later. It represents the tax collector who was very much an outsider and despised. It it represents a whole range of different people. It represents people whose life choices put them outside of acceptable religious circles. It represents people who are sick and blind and lame, who were often considered to be at fault, that it was their sin that caused them to be sick. It's people on the margins who don't fit in. And he's starting here by saying, God's kingdom is particularly good news for these people. Maybe you grew up in a church uh, as a child um, that had acceptable religious standards that you didn't meet measure up to or meet. 
Or perhaps you never came to church for many, many years and never would darken the doors of a church because you felt you could never measure up. Perhaps you've at different times felt like an outsider because of all the different number of ways that you don't fit in. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God, the kingdom he is bringing is good news for you. It's good news for the outsider. It's good news for the outcast. It's good news for the poor. It's good news for the rejected. The other word in in here that I want to highlight is the word freedom in here. It's the Greek word ephesus, which means release. And this, Jesus is really linking back here to the, the idea of the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25, where all the slaves were released, all debts were cancelled, the land was sold and returned to families. Jesus here is painting a picture of freedom and he came and he freed people from sickness, from sin, from shame, from religious bondage, from whatever was oppressing and trapping them. And so he right, <coughs> excuse me, at the beginning of his ministry, he sets the scene with this, that the kingdom of God is not about position, it's not about conquering, it's not about political power, but it's about humility and bringing in the afflicted outsider in with extraordinary generosity and forgiveness and love into his kingdom, into this Jesus community that he was creating. He was coming and he was bringing not what they expected, but an upside down kingdom. He was saying those who are in power and who are at the top of the kingdoms of the world, they're not actually the most blessed. It's the ones who are considered at the bottom. It's actually flipped. They're at the top in the kingdom of God. And so I've just got two uh, simple thoughts, hopefully, that you can take away this morning. And the first is this, in the upside down kingdom, everyone's welcome. The upside down kingdom is for the outsider. The upside down kingdom is for those who don't fit in. Jesus both taught and demonstrated this. Right after he shares this in Luke 4, he goes and delivers a man with an evil spirit in the synagogue. He sees that man's released and set free. He leaves and he heals Simon's mother-in-law. And then after he does that, it says many came to him to be healed. Jesus goes about doing miracles and immediately doing what he just read about and releasing these people from whatever is oppressing them. In Luke 5, he calls fishermen and a tax collector to be his disciples. Fishermen didn't make the religious club. They dropped out of rabbi school. They tried for a while and they didn't make it. And so they went back to their father's business. Rabbis did not get fishermen to follow them. Rabbis got the best and brightest students who came through to follow them, not fishermen. And so he asked these fishermen to follow him and to fish for men. Then he asked Levi, a tax collector, or Matthew, as he's otherwise known, to come and to follow him. The religious leaders of the day did not have a high opinion of tax collectors. They used the phrase tax collectors and sinners together. They were in the religious structure of things, the the low of the low. And most often they were not good people. They, w- they did not fit religious standards. They, they, they would rip people off. They would abuse their positions. They, they were not considered good people. And yet Jesus goes and gets Matthew as a tax collector. Jesus said, I want you to be one of my 12. I want you to come and follow me. Then Jesus moves on and, and sees a, a paralytic man gets healed. I mean, Jesus, this was not, relig- this was not the normal, normal convention. He lets 
a hole. He's, this, this man who's paralysed gets dropped through a hole in a roof. They dig a hole in a roof and Jesus is all good for it. This, this was blowing the religious leaders mind because it was anything but comfortable and conventional and neat. It was messy, but it was saying everyone's coming into this. Totally upside down kingdom. And then in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says these things. He says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who weep, blessed are those who are hated and insulted, blessed are the rejected, He says that for those people, theirs is the kingdom of God and they will be satisfied, they will laugh, they can rejoice, they can leap for joy. The total opposite of what was to be expected. This is like almost like Jesus' manifesto for the upside down kingdom. He's saying you think it's this way, but it's actually this way. And then he goes on and and, and says, woe to the well-fed, the rich, the laughing, the the people of good reputation who rely on that. Because if they rely on that, then they've got all their reward. It can be harder sometimes for us in a wealthy country to see our need for Jesus because we've got a lot. But he's saying if we rely on that, that's all we've got. But if we actually see that that doesn't matter and see who we really are and that we need desperately need Jesus, then ours can be the kingdom too. Then he goes on and says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, (coughs) sorry, pray for those who mistreat you. Wow, that was not the way that it worked. The way that it worked was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But he's saying, no, no, this is not the kingdom that I've come to bring. In Luke 7, he heals a servant of a Roman centurion. The Romans were, they were like the enemy of Israel in, in, in the religious leaders' minds, or they, the enemy that they had to try and work with and, and, and use, you know, for their own gain. Another outsider, he raises a widow's son from the dead. He allows himself to be anointed by um, what the Bible describes as a sinful woman and what many um, assume would be a prostitute. Jesus is flipping things on its head. In Luke 8, he heals a demon-possessed man. He raises a girl from the dead and on the way to doing that, he heals a woman who reaches out and touches him who's had bleeding for 12 years. And we could get into the letting a woman touch him and letting someone who's got bleeding touch him, like what that meant in the Jewish times. He does all of this. In Luke 9, he feeds 5,000 people, which really when you count all the women and children would have been 15 or 20,000 people. Jesus was establishing his upside-down teeth kingdom through teaching and through demonstration you belong in his upside down kingdom it's particularly good news for the poor for the oppressed for the outsider for the downcast for the isolated for the rejected and for the demonized in the first half of luke here he's showing everyone that he comes in contact with who doesn't think they fit that they belong in this kingdom of his that they are welcome that the power structures and religious orders of the day, they were not the way to go. That the ones who are considered at the bottom of society are actually flipped and they are the blessed. They are the ones who the kingdom belongs to. And the ones who think they're at the top, all they've got is what they get in their earthly life. I'm going to look now at Luke chapter 9 in a moment. Let me just grab a drink. The second thought he brings here 
here that really he brings home in the second half of the book of Luke is that once we are part of this upside down kingdom, it's our responsibility, it's our responsibility to live accordingly. Once we're part of this, we are responsible for welcoming in the outsider, the rejected, the poor, the afflicted. Once we're in, we're not part of this all nice club that we get to, you know, go, well, we're all safe, we're going to heaven one day. This is this. No, actually, once we've realized our need for Jesus and, and we're part of this upside down kingdom that he's building, it's actually our responsibility to go, well, actually, who else can we welcome and bring in? In Luke chapter 9, before we get to this passage, in earlier in Luke chapter 9, he talks to his disciples, <coughs> excuse me, about how the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. He's showing them and telling them about how he's going to live out this ultimate sac- act of sacrifice and humility to lay down his life. Jesus talks about how his life wasn't taken from him, but how he actually laid it down. And then he implores his disciples to do the same, not necessarily to literally die, although most of them did for Jesus at one point or another. But for most of us, it's not going to come to that but to lay down their life. In verse 24 of Luke chapter 9, he says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's an incredible challenge for us. And he's not after perfection because he knows we can't do that. But he expects a laying down of our lives. We will fall short in this. But we keep walking and journeying with Jesus and learning and going, you know what, I missed it there, I'm going to learn better how to lay myself down for the sake of others. In Luke chapter 9, verse 46, we'll read here that an argument started amongst the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you he is the greatest. He sets up this upside down thought again, that if we're part of this and welcome into it, even though we don't deserve it, it's incumbent upon us to live this out, to welcome the least into the kingdom. And in this case, he uses children as the example. Now, when I was a child, I remember some people would say the the phrase, you know, children are, are best seen and not heard. You know, you can be there playing, but you better be quiet. I'm glad that's changing and has changed a lot. I think it's awesome that children are seen and heard. Back in this time, it was very much like that, if not more so. At different points, the disciples actually tried to send children away. Don't don't, don't let the kids come. This is serious business here. The children don't belong here. Push them away. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You want to know what the kingdom's actually like? You want to know what it's like? You welcome the least of these. Being greatest is not about position, it's not about any, it's actually about humility and welcoming the least. So the kingdom is theirs. 
Jesus from here begins to teach and demonstrate that this must be lived out. He challenges the religious order of things and gee, they don't like it. He tells a parable about a good Samaritan. You have to understand how offensive that was to them, that, that a man falls in a hole, uh, you know, oh, sorry, not falls in a hole, is, 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 is beaten by the side of the road and the priest and the Levite go by and don't help him, but the Samaritan does. You have to understand culturally that Samaritan, that was so offensive that he chose the Samaritan to be the one that helped. He heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath. Gee, they didn't like that. He tells the Pharisees, woe to them for focusing on the outside of the cup and not the inside, for trying to look perfect on the outside while being far from it on the inside. Uh, That's a temptation for all of us, to look like we've got it together. For tithing on mint but neglecting justice and the love of God, for sitting in the most important seats and putting themselves there, for burdening people with impossible religious expectations and burdens. He's like, this isn't the kingdom. This is something else altogether and it's ugly and it's unattractive. He's like, we don't want that. In Luke 14, he's at a Pharisee's house and he challenges him. He says, when you're invited, don't take the honoured seat at the table, sit in the lowest place. And he's like, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends and relatives who can pay you back. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the outsider, and then you'll be blessed. This is an upside down kingdom. It's upside down from the kingdoms that we live in today that says you've got to do everything you can to get to the top, to get into position of power. <clears throat> and Jesus is saying, that's not really who's at the top. It's not the rich and the powerful, it's the poor, the lowly, the outsider. Invite them. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 15, he shares the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin and, and the lost son or the prodigal son. And, and he paints this picture with the lost sheep and the lost coin of someone who's lost a sheep who will do anything to find that sheep and get it back. This, person, this picture of, of, of this person who's lost a coin in the house and who will tear, you know, rip the house apart just to find that coin because it's so valuable. Because you got one coin. One coin. It's like, you know, you drop, you drop a five-cent coin, do you? do you? If you're in a rush, do you pick it up? Like, it's five cents. Like, he's saying even the most, the thing that seems the most little is so precious that you should tear the house apart to find it. It's, it's, it's referring to people. And then he gives this parable of the prodigal son, which many of you would <clears throat> know, the, the son that squanders his inheritance and goes out, finds himself eating with the pigs, eventually comes back, Excuse me, and the father just welcomes him with open arms. Let's throw a party. Let's let, let's put on a feast. Jesus talks about banquets and feasts a lot. This idea of bringing people in and around a table together. He's like, let's throw a feast. And the older son was like, he was so mad. Let's be like the father and not the older son to people that don't even deserve it. This is the heart of the upside-down kingdom, that we belong to it and then that we would live it out. 
in Luke 17, again, 10 more are healed of leprosy, more outsiders, <coughs> excuse me, welcomed into this upside-down kingdom, into this Jesus community. And then in Luke 18 and 19, we see this big contrast of two people who encounter Jesus, the rich ruler and a tax collector named Zacchaeus. The rich ruler comes to him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you, first of all, you don't do anything to inherit something, it's, it's given, it's a gift, it's, it's, it's free. If you want to earn your way into the kingdom, you'll never do it. But Jesus humours him and says, well, keep these five commandments and gives him five of the commandments. And the rich ruler's like, I've done all of those since my youth. Jesus is like, all right, you want to up the game? Let's go, let's go to another level. He says, give all that you have to the poor and come follow me. And the rich ruler couldn't do it. He was trying to earn his way and Jesus was highlighting, you can't earn your way. He, he didn't really meet and encounter Jesus. He could have been welcomed into the upside down kingdom, but he didn't understand it. Whereas Zacchaeus here is a tax collector. He's despised. He's actually a chief tax collector. So he's got probably other tax collectors under him, working for him. And he hears about this Jesus and this upside down kingdom. He hears about this Jesus who's healing the sick, who's hanging out with his sinners, hanging out with sinners, who, who actually has one of his disciples is a tax collector or was a tax collector. He's like, could this possibly be true? He's a, he's a short guy and so he's, he can't see. He's trying to see. The crowds are there and he's like, I can't see, I can't see. So he climbs up this tree. Probably not like that because that was weird climbing. <clears throat> but he climbs up this tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus stops and looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Now, I don't know how many of you would be comfortable if Amanda and I said, we're coming to your house afterwards. We're coming over. Some of you might be like, all right, great. A lot of you, if you're like me, be like, give me 20 minutes head start. Because you don't want everyone coming in and seeing your house just how it is, do you? Mostly not. Most of you are saying no. You don't want people seeing it how it just is every day. And I think that symbolises very much with Zacchaeus. It's like, Zacchaeus, he's willing to let Jesus see him as he is. So often we even, yes, we want to keep the pretense up with everyone else, but then we want to keep it up with him too. I've heard people say, oh, I, I think I want to become a Christian, but I've got to fix some things up first. It's like, no, no, no. Let him come in and see you as you are because he accepts you and welcomes you and loves you exactly as you are. And Zacchaeus is like, I'm a chief tax collector and he's coming to my, come on in. And he lets him come in to his house. And the religious leaders are all whispering, look, he's going to the house of a sinner. Can you believe he's doing that? And Zacchaeus encounters Jesus that day <clears throat> and he, he, Jesus has come to his house and I don't know what the conversation was, I don't know what happened but, <clears throat> excuse me, Zacchaeus just gets to the point where he goes, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. So he, here and now, like he's like grabbing them, I'll give half of everything I have to the poor and if I've basically ripped anyone off, which he would have, I'll pay them back four times what I took from them. 
It would look on the surface like the, the rich ruler didn't get into the kingdom because he wouldn't give away and Zacchaeus did because he did but that's not actually what happened is Zacchaeus really encountered Jesus and, and welcomed Jesus in and then the natural response was I can't help myself. He just couldn't help himself to do it. He just like I've met Jesus, I've encountered, I'm welcome into his kingdom today and, and he just like here, half of them, just grab it, grab it, grab it, half, I'll just give it to the, let's just give it, <clears throat> and if I've ripped anyone off, I'll pay him back four times. He just, he just met Jesus and he couldn't help himself. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. He confirms what has happened. He encountered this upside down kingdom and he started to live it out straight away. He didn't need two years of church services and three discipleship courses and a leadership degree before he started doing it. He met Jesus and he just started living it out. He receives the upside down kingdom and immediately wants to help the poor. I'm going to finish in a moment. The climax of this upside down kingdom being fulfilled is in Luke chapter 23. Jesus has come to Jerusalem and he's been crucified. And he's on the cross with two criminals either side of him. And he says of those who crucified him, remember this, he's innocent. But he says of those who are crucifying him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Let that sit with you for a moment. Father, forgive them. He's on the cross. They've crucified him. He's innocent, for they do not know what they are doing. And one of the criminals mocks him, the other sense is something different about Jesus. He senses something of this upside-down kingdom. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is a criminal who was guilty. And I get that today we probably don't agree with the death penalty, but that's what it was then, was for a crime that was worthy of the death penalty. He's guilty. And Jesus says to him, I'll tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Translation, you're welcome in this upside down kingdom too. I'll see you there. You're already there. You're welcome in this Jesus upside down kingdom. And the more you feel like an outsider, the despised, the poor, the rejected, or like you don't belong, then it's even better news for you. All you have to do is recognise your need for him encourage you in this today if you're here today and you don't know Jesus please talk to Pastor Andrew or one of the leaders that would love to introduce you to him I'd love to give you a Bible if you don't have one I'm sure for all of us in this kingdom this upside down kingdom that isn't about power and position and all the rest it's about humility and serving and welcoming we get to live it out so my encouragement to you, my challenge to you is let's live this out in our everyday. Let's live this out in how we live. Thank you for having us here today. Before I pray, just to remember, I'd love to see, we'd love to see you at the stand today. But live this out in everything. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this um, group of people. I'm sure who the bulk of are following you, Lord, and know you already and are welcomed into your kingdom. And for anyone here today who isn't, Lord, I pray that they would know that they are welcome, that you want them in your kingdom, that they don't have to do anything to get in there. And so, Lord, I just pray that as a church, as this church continues to have their looking outside 
um, services and, and, and focuses, Lord, that, that as a church, as individuals in their everyday life, they will continue to look outward to see others and want to reach out and extend their hand in whatever way they can to welcome them in. Father, we thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.